0: Yeah. Hey, everybody, if, if you're kind of on the outside <coughs> of the rows, can, you, can we ask you to mush in a little bit there to get up and fill in those interior seats so that as people come in they get somewhere, you wouldn't mind. Thank you so much. Well, good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church, all of Rimrock Church. It's good to see you guys and gals. So we're just going to lift up the name of Jesus here this morning and enjoy his presence. Enjoy each other. Amen. Let's do that.
1: Have you lived in this place? Bring no one down, Spirit of God. Pour out what is in heaven, Jesus. We need you now. In our shape,
0: you bring redemption. You turn our shape into our free.
1: There will be no fear God, your kingdom come, your will be done here Church, Mother's in here, the Spirit of God. Oh, I-
0: in heaven, God, that you would have your way here in our lives, in each of us. And we sing, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, amen. The greatness of your mercy and love at the feet of Jesus,
1: we come holy holy we cry
2: a hearty folk here. Anybody else wearing long Johns? <laughs> you know, if there's a chance I may start sweating up here. You can just say it's because of the spirit, not because I'm overdressed. Anybody that's moved here from California wherever, layers are the key. Layers are the key. Sweet. Well, if you don't know me, <laughs> Help, Tom. <laughs> if you don't know me, I'm fully incompetent when it comes to stage presence. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Actually,
0: uh, I did that. I gave you that stand.
2: Before. On purpose. Certain people love to be up here. Yeah, take your mic with you. My goodness. Yeah, if you don't know me, my name is Evan. I am the pastor of the downtown campus. Take a moment and look around you. This... This is Rimrock. Our buildings, they are only tools for us, the church. right? We are the church, and we exist in order to glorify God and to love other people. Look at the size and the power of this community. We don't get together enough for us to recognize the power that we have. You know, Ben's going to talk more about that here in a little bit for me, I get the beauty of walking you guys through Revelation 4 now before we do that let's stop these aren't my words, these are his words right? like John said at the end of each of the letters to the churches, whoever has an ear listen to what the spirit is saying so right now let's pray just to open our minds to that God right now we stop and we still our minds we invite you to speak to us we understand that we have free will, but even more so, we see that you have the power we need for this life. And so we invite you and your words in. Give us something, God, that we can hang on to. Amen. All right, so now before I fumble through my words, trying to figure out how to explain Revelation 4, a better idea is let's read it together first. So Revelation 4, if you got a Bible, please turn there, flip there, whatever. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne, and the one seated there looked like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the thrones are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and in front of the throne burns seven flaming torches which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night without ceasing, they sing, holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. My goodness, such an incredible 11 verses. Now, as I've been studying and meditating on this passage this past week, I have begun to see that this chapter and chapter 5 are the foundations off of which everything else in this book is built. What John is being shown here is why everyone who reads the words of these prophecies will be blessed. You guys remember Revelation 1-3? What John is allowed to see a glimpse of is the reason why the seven churches in Southwest Asia should humbly repent and persevere in their faith, regardless of what's happening in the culture around them. We studied that the past two weeks. Because of what John is privileged to witness and then communicate to his readers in the next two chapters, this is the reason why we confidently know that in the end, the evil that is very real and present in our lives, it will be fully conquered. And only joy and contentment will reign. We'll see this in the rest of the book. In the 11 verses that we just read, the deepest and most foundational truths of all of reality is displayed. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, He is sovereign over everything, both in the spiritual and the physical realms. He always has been, and He always will be. Because of Him and only because of Him do we have everything that we have. And it's crucial to know that this isn't something that will happen someday in the distant future. No, no. John is being caught up into the spiritual realm and being shown what was and what is and what always will be happening. God, our creator, is enthroned in power and continually being worshipped by everything and everyone. For the next 15 minutes or so, I get the privilege of simply walking us through this incredible passage hoping to help you better understand what John was being shown. Please don't get your hopes set on any stories from my life or direct application, right? What I want to do is just give you the exegetical approach to better understanding this passage. And we're going to do this in two ways. We're going to look at who God is and then what our response should be to him. So let's start with who God is. Now, I love the way that the lyrics in this passage so clearly state it. So verse 8. Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, let's pick this part a little bit to better understand what is being declared about God. So holy, holy, holy. Now, how many of you have heard that word before? Right, every hand will go up. Now, if you've been in church for a while, this is a common word, similar to blessed. And it is so common that it's either lost its meaning or you have no clue what, you've never known what it actually means. Right, Holy cow, holy Bible, God is holy. It just so simply and easily flows from our lips. But because this is the first thing that the four creatures say in their worship of God, and the fact that it's repeated three times, I felt that it was important that I actually understand what it means. So I did a little research. In the Greek, the language in which Revelation was written, holy comes from the word hagios. In this context, it is an adjective that most commonly most commentators believe means set apart. One commentator put it this way, holy refers to the quality of God who is transcendently distinctive, unique, majestic, perfect, and pure. What these four creatures are saying is that the God of the Bible is unlike anything else in this world, that he is completely different, fully set apart. There is nothing or no one that compares to him. He is without rival. You know, the lyrics of the song, it then tells us why he is holy. The Lord God is almighty. Almighty in the Greek speaks of God's total control over everything. That he is all-powerful and sovereign. And in the next line, we see that his sovereignty always has been and it always will be. God who was and is and is to come. This means that God has been in charge long before the earth was created and he is fully in charge now in each moment that we get to experience and he will be con- in control of everything that is to come. In the second half of verse 11, we get to see how he uses his power, his holiness in this physical world. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Like we see so clearly described in Genesis, God spoke our world into existence. Absolutely everything we know as our reality exists because and only because God wanted it to and has the power to bring it about. This includes the natural world that we're surrounded by, the beauty of the black hills covered in snow, did you guys watch those snowflakes fall yesterday? That is part of God's creation. Right? This incredibly resilient planet on earth in which we live was made by him. This also includes us. You. You and your extraordinary complex body are the handiwork of God your beautiful spouse, and precious children were intricately designed by this all-powerful and ever-present being who intentionally chose to make you and to breathe life into your lungs. All that we know and love exists because of the skillful hand of the holy, almighty, and eternal God. And these two stanzas, they're short but concise, and they accurately describe who the God of the Bible is. In verses 2 through 6 of Revelation 4, we get a glimpse into the way that our sovereign creator appears, or maybe even a better way to describe it, the way it feels to be in his presence. At once, I was in the spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne, and the one seated there looked like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne there's a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the throne are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. You know, the first thing that John describes is the throne. Now we all, I'm sure we all know that thrones are a symbol of power and authority. It is where the ruler of the land sits and speaks his authority over all that is in his control. And John also sees someone, something, seated on the throne. He does the best to describe what it maybe looked like. Now each of the stones mentioned here, jasper, carnelia, and emerald, they speak to the transcending beauty of this being. The rainbow that's emanating from him may speak of his ability to display every form of splendor. He's not limited to just a few colors. He has the entire spectrum in his control. Like we saw earlier in the chant before God, holy, holy, holy. Once again, God is unlike anything else. So John, he does not see a human figure, one that he could relate to or even compare to, let's say, the emperor in Rome. Rather, he sees something that is fully unique and totally beautiful. Now, Around God and his throne, there's 24 elders seated on their own thrones. Each one of these is facing God and his position of authority. These other thrones are most likely smaller and not as beautiful as the throne of the king. Again, based on the style of literature, apocalyptic literature, this is most likely symbolic for me. I see it representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples or apostles of Jesus. 12 plus 12, 24. These 24 elders embody the entire people of God. Every single person throughout all of human history who has chosen to place their faith in Yahweh and his Messiah. The members of the universal church, they're all situated around their creator and their focus is fully on their king. This is highly symbolic of God's position of authority amongst his people. He is the creator and the center of all things. And he, he is fully sovereign. It's also important to note, though, that God's people, they have been elevated to their own position of power. They're dressed in white, and they're even given crowns. These denote that they are in a fully righteous position, right, the white and they've been given both honor and authority. And they have been put there by whom? By the one seated in the center of all of their thrones. So this shows us that not only is God fully in charge, but his love for his people, it is undeniable. We then see John describing the power and the majesty coming from him. Right? Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. This is very similar to what Moses got to experience when God descended upon Mount Sinai back during the Exodus. And this one, this is one that we can relate to. One of my favorite things in the summertime in the Black Hills is the ways that the thunderstorms roll in in the afternoon. We can see those giant clouds in the distance, you know, the ones that tower into the upper atmosphere. And then we get to watch them slowly make their way towards us like a battleship approaching its enemy. When they arrive, they often bring with them giant flashes of light and deep rolls of thunder. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? That type of lightning that fully illuminates the black sky and the type of thunder that shakes your house and even the bones within your body. Think about what you feel when you're in the midst of that. You know, some of us may be a little afraid, but every single one of us, we feel small. We feel overwhelmed in awe by the power and grandeur of what is all around us. This is what John is seeing and feeling in the throne room of heaven. A being around which everything else centers. A being whose beauty and power are undeniable and radiate onto everyone and everything else that are there. According to Revelation 4, this is who our God is. In the verses that follow, we get to see the way that everything responds to this type of beauty and power. Check out verses 6 and 7. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around inside, around and inside. Day and night without ceasing, they sing, "Holy, holy, holy, the Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and is to come." Now I know that these strange, even freaky creatures cause us to say, "What the heck is now going on?" But in thinking through the lens of the apocalyptic literature and its heavily symbolic nature, each of these four living creatures are standing for something. Unfortunately, we can't just give John a call and say, hey, what do you think? So here's just a thought that I'm going to share. The lion is the fiercest. The ox is the strongest, the human is the wisest, and the eagle is the swiftest among all living things. So what may be represented here? is all of creation. In this vision, every single being and part of the natural world is surrounding the throne of God. And what are they doing? Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John is being shown that the entirety of creation is continually falling on their faces, worshiping their creator over and over without end. This makes me think of David's words in Psalms 19. We know that the whole creation, oh, I decided to leave that one out. That one's okay. I was going to go with that one. That one talks about creation groaning. Um, but David's words in Psalms one night Psalms nineteen are even better. Psalms nineteen one through four. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words, are their words, their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. Telling of God's glory because everything that, w- that is was intentionally put into place by the almighty internal, eternal God everything is naturally pointing back to him and his reality and his power and the longer that I look at creation through this lens the more clearly defined this truth becomes let me say it one more time everything has been intentionally put into place by an almighty and eternal God You know, at this point, for me, a creator is undeniable. Over the years, I've been giving you different examples of both the complexity and the precision of the natural world in the human body. Let me give you one more this morning. It'll be quick. According to today's astrophysicist, are there any astrophysicists amongst us? Really smart men and women who devote their time to studying the universe and the physics or the principles behind it, according to them, They have discovered that in order for life to have come into existence, there were around 122 variables that would have needed to be lined up with perfect precision. If any of these variables was off by a million millionth, matter would not have been able to unite and hold together. If these variables weren't put perfectly in place, there would be no stars, there would be no planets, there would be no life. Stephen Hawking, so you guys have probably heard that name before, pretty devout atheist, put what has been called fine-tuning of the universe this way. If the overall density of the universe was changed by point zero 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 one percent I have no clue what that is even is, but it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, right? If the density of the universe was changed by this percent, no stars or galaxy could have been formed. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousandth million million, which must be that, the universe would have re-collapsed before it reached its present size. And I hope you're seeing or starting to see what science is teaching us. And please don't get caught up on those ter- that term, Big Bang. Regardless of how the universe began, if it was six literal days or over millions of years, it is undeniable that it is not the byproduct of chance. It was intentionally and precisely created. On a purely natural and molecular level, everything around us and within us is clearly pointing back to our designer. Due to its complexity and precision, there is no other way to explain it. You know, Paul states something similar in Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen throughout the things he has made. So, we are without excuse. That is what John is seeing in his vision absolutely everything is singing of the reality and splendor of the one who spoke our reality into existence. And by his will and only his will, life continues day after day. Because of this, because of the undeniable power and beauty of our creator, when the entire collection of believers, that's every son and daughter of the Most High, when they recognize that all of creation is crying out to God, then they do the same thing themselves. Check out verses 9 through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. For me, this has become the most powerful scene in this chapter, even more powerful than all of creation falling down before its creator. I believe that the natural world, it doesn't have a choice. They must worship God, but we, humanity, we have been created with free will, the ability to choose what or who we will worship. And we see in these beautiful verses is that all of God's people are freely choosing to leave their own thrones, fall down on their faces before Lord God Almighty, and then cast their crowns at his feet. When you take time to picture this in your mind, it is so easy to see the humility and reverence being expressed to the one on the throne. The 24 elders are willingly stepping away from their own positions of authority and then unreservedly giving all honor and praise that they have received back to their creator. I love how clearly they express their logic behind acting this way. They sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive all glory and honor and power for you created all things and By your will, they existed and were created. Because they have come to that understanding that absolutely everything that they have and all that they are exist only because God wants it to, they have then chosen to elevate him to the proper place in their lives as one worthy to receive all glory, all honor, and all praise. You know, as the musicians come up, I want to finally give you a small piece of application. Take a moment and consider your life. Think about the world in which you live. What What did you do to make it? Think about your incredibly capable mind and body, the one that allows you to do so much each and every day. What did you do to put breath in your lungs and blood in your veins? Right now, allow yourself to settle into your proper position in the universe. As we sing these songs worshiping God, think about the ways that the 24 elders presented themselves before his throne.
3: Can you hear me? So what a joy to sing those words. And I I hope throughout this week we can take time to really meditate on Revelation four and to think of God's people singing that song, not just around our planet now in Africa and in Asia and India, but also throughout all of human history, God's people gathered singing that song that He is worthy. It's awesome. Um, this morning I I woke up thinking, uh, I wonder if we communicated good enough that we're, well enough that we're in a different place (laughs) as a church. So I was thinking, you know, people are going to show up at, at, uh, up, um, Johnson Siding up at the main campus or people are going to show up downtown and they're going to be like, where, where's God's people? And then I started to laugh because I started to think, well, we're the church preaching through revelation and someone's going to show up and they're like, everyone's gone. (laughs) The rapture's taking place. (laughs) terrible prank to play <laughs> some poor, some poor person, <laughs> but I realize, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of disruptive that we've all come to a different place, a new place, a place we're not used to meeting, but, but something happened in me this morning as I was walking in, and I saw those same faces I see every Sunday morning, and I just, I said, I, I love this church, I love these people, and there's something about the identity of the people of God. And I always say, even if a tornado came through and destroyed our building, we wouldn't stop being the church, right? And so in one sense, we are, we are practicing something really essential to what it means to be the people of God. And, you know, as Revelation 4 ends with this idea that all things were created by God, and by your will they are created, and they have their being. Meditate on that. Think about that as we think about that, and we think about what's this thing called church? Did Is church a creation of God, or is this just something that we put together <laughs> as people do it? Like, is is this just like a regular human organization, or is there something um, more important about what God is doing in the world? And And we've looked at this Revelation series understanding that it was written for the church, that it was the Apostle John on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, wishing he could be with the people, thinking about those people that he knew and he loved, but he couldn't physically be with them, but he's worshiping when when Jesus gave him the ultimate pastoral vision for the church. Revelation was given to the church. And it's not so much John's heart or my heart or any other human pastor's heart. It's, it's Jesus' heart, the, the chief shepherd, the, the one shepherd that can handle all of us, <laughs> right? The one who alone can save us, the one alone who can truly shepherd us, truly pastor us, and knows everything about each one of us. And it's this, this vision of the church that I want to share a little bit that I think God wants us to understand what is our identity. Because if you think about it, every letter that Jesus gave to John to the seven churches starts with the same thing. Remember who I am. Our identity is not in where we meet, our music style, who our pa- your pastor or your elders are. It's, it's in Jesus. The church is to find its identity in Jesus. And so Revelation chapter 1 tells us who Jesus is, right? The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who holds the stars and walks among the lampstands, right? And he reminds the church who he is. Well, we know from Scripture that God called a a man named Paul, Saul, who was persecuting the people of Jesus. And and God gave Paul the, the ministry and the calling to be, as he said, the chief builder of the church, the chief architect of the church. And so I just want to dive a little bit into understanding who we are. If, if we exist, if we are created by God, and if this idea of church is from God, let's, let's understand what it is. And so would you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. And I wish we had time to read the whole book of Ephesians. Uh, I was a young man trying to figure out my place in the world, and, and it was in a in a little town in Nebraska that I began to read the book of Ephesians and it, and it devastated me, it overwhelmed me, it changed my life forever because in the book of Ephesians I began to see and understand the creation of the church. That God had a plan and a purpose, this was his idea, it wasn't man's idea, this was his idea and he created it and by the Holy Spirit he inspired the Apostle Paul to reveal to us God's purpose and his plan through the church ultimately as we heard from revelation 4 not for us it doesn't exist for us who does it exist for you alone O god are worthy of all glory and honor and power god alone is worthy let's read in ephesians chapter 4 verse 116 as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice he says, make every effort (laughs) to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people, God's people, Jesus' people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ for from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work it's beautiful it's a beautiful picture of what we're doing here this morning is, is we're discovering what it means to be God's people. Now, I understand that we don't represent the whole church. Here in Rapid City, Jesus has a much larger group of people that Rimrock Church is just a small part of, right? There are worshipers of Jesus meeting throughout this community, worshiping Him, singing the same songs praising the same Savior, trusting in His grace alone. And we're so thankful for that. But the vision for the church can't just be conceptual. It can't just be imaginative. In Paul's mind, this universal church, this reality of God's people that is not only throughout a community like Rapid City, but throughout the United States of America and throughout the world, has to be expressed in a local place with real people that you know that you can touch that you can hug that's why he tells the churches greet each other with a holy kiss now we don't we don't practice that right but we hug each other we handshake with each other that that there has to be real relationships and i want to tell you why this morning real quickly if our identity is in jesus if our identity is in Jesus, as Paul opens Ephesians one, he begins with who God is. He starts with Revelation four, the, the glory of the Father and the, the glory of the Son, Jesus Christ, who has lavished his love on us, in Ephesians one. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit that is in feel, that's filled and sealed, God's people. And so we're we're introduced to God in all his glory. We we sing holy, 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 not only because God is totally other, but because he is Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Ephesians is, 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 is embedded in that truth of who God is. And we'll see that throughout Revelation. Throughout every book of the Bible, we see who God is and his identity. And so Paul says, as we think about what it means to be the church and the local, with real people who are flawed, he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that we are all dead. We are all lost in our sin that none of us is righteous, that all of us have sinned and fallen short, that that we are dead, and dead is dead. We can't earn our way to God. We can't earn his favor. We have the same hope, and that is in Jesus Christ, that it's by his grace alone, through his death and his resurrection alone that we are made righteous. But God, he says, but God gave us Christ. And so it's in God that we find our identity. It's in the gospel that we find who we are in him. And so Paul, what does he say in verse 1? As a prisoner for the Lord. We, we don't use that language, but Paul understood that he doesn't, he doesn't, his life didn't belong to himself. That he belongs to God. This is a, a statement of identity. It's a statement of worship. Total surrender. Laying his crown before the throne. And brothers and sisters, to be the church, we must do that. We must find our identity in Christ, in the gospel alone, in Him alone, in Christ alone. And when we understand that, we can come as a worshiping people. But then, how does this get worked out in unity? If you notice, in chapter four, he talks about unity over and over and over again. How do we find unity? How do we find unity? It's not through our organization. So it's not through our voting, it's not through um, just who we are as a staff, as a church, our structure. What does Paul say? Our unity goes to something much deeper. Now all those things have a place. Our, our bylaws, our structures, our voting, all of that has a place. Our membership, all of that has a place. Our gatherings have a place. but that's not our identity. It goes deeper. It goes into something so important for us to understand verse four. That, that unity that he talks about in verse 3 of the spirit through the bond peace, it comes through who God is. Verse 6: one God and Father of all, who is over all and through in all. Now here's the mystery: God is one, but he is three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, or Apostle John says, God is love. The only way we know that God is love is because in his essence He is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. (laughs) He doesn't need anything. He is perfectly capable, sufficient in every way as one God and three persons. And so God in his very essence is relationship and personhood is expressed in diversity and in multiple persons, yet fully realized And absolute unity. And this is what Paul is wondering at. In the design of the church. He says it's one body, one spirit. As you call the one hope you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's not talking about our human organization. He's talking about something much more profound. About who we are and ultimately who God is. And who we are is created in the image of God. And this is he is telling us is the foundation for Christian unity. Colin Gunton he says it this way: How can we be individuals and yet unified in the corporate? Right. That's that's what our whole world is wrestling with. Like we look at our culture, we look at every human institution. Everything's being pushed and pulled between the power of like the corporate, the state, and the individual. Yeah. How does this happen? Colin Gunton says, if we let the Trinity provide for us a blueprint for all reality, remember God is the creator, the maker of all things, we find that we are living in a universe where everything may be what is not yet another thing, but it's also what is uniquely is by its relation to everything else. Singularity and plurality, uniqueness and community, share a peaceful coexistence in a Trinitarian model of reality. And so that's why the old hymn says, Holy, holy God, most almighty, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, perfect in power, and love and purity. So what's the basis for Christian unity? It's in who God is. And who he created us to be as individuals with dignity and infinite value, perfect freedom, We were created to be free beings. He created us in his image, yet not separate from each other. He goes on to say, uh, actually, Christopher Walken says, the love relationship of the Trinity provides tools that help us understand sameness and difference in a way that provides for distinctness, distance, honoring, as well as intimacy, knowledge, and mutuality. John Frame says there's no unity without plurality, no plurality without unity. Christopher Watkins goes on to say we can see each other. And so when we come into a place like this and we look at each other in Christ, what do we see? We see objects of God's love. That's why Paul, in chapter three of Ephesians, what does he end with? He prays, he prays, Praise God, I pray that they may grasp how deep and high and wide is your love that all the saints would grasp this reality that we would see the love of God and the love that God has for each other. And when we look at each other, we see the splendor of God's glory. This infinitely both draws me and others together. So also it makes us utterly irreducible to one another. The other is both my fellow beloved creature and yet is utterly unique and irreplaceable singularity. It's like Evan brought up the snowflakes, right? (laughs) You see this in creation, right? Every snowflake is unique. No one's been able to find ones that's the same. How many snowflakes do you think are in Rapid City right now? (laughs) How many people does God have in all of human history? 24 elders, all of Israel, all of the people who have ever lived and ever will live, every people who exist now, everyone unique, specially formed in the image of God. Yet he calls us together. In relationship, just as he does, as God does, as three and one, he calls us into relationship. And so this is what Paul talks about in unity. He says, so that we may all be built up until so we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so it's not just knowing each other, it's, it's together we are pressing in to the, to the knowledge of who God is. That's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we do what we do as a church because we're about discipleship. We're about growing and maturing and being transformed into who God created us to be. And God knew in his infinite wisdom, we could all question God. We could say, God, why did you choose the church to be your lampstand in the world? Like, like couldn't you have chosen a different way? But Jesus told his disciples before he left, he, says, he said, I'm choosing you and I've given you authority. He says, all authority has been given to me, and now I give it to you, so that you may be my witnesses, so that you may go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's that's our mandate. That's our commission. That's that's, that's orders from the one on the throne. (laughs) And we have to receive that order as a church. And say, will we go? Will we disciple? Will we baptize? Will we teach? Will we share? And will we live, as Paul says, in this unity that requires effort? Will we live in that bond of peace? Will we be humble? Will we be gentle? Will we bear with one another? Will we love each other? Will we speak the truth in love? Because he says, if we do that, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Isn't that a glorious vision? (laughs) Doesn't that make you excited to be part of his church, his people? It does for me. This has guided my my life in every respect. I want to be part of what God is calling us to be. We're going to do something really important this morning. We're going to take communion together because I think the mistake could be that we could try to find unity and, okay, let, let's try to make this happen. Let's, let's work hard to do this, but, but we can't do this on our own. God doesn't expect us to do it on his own. He's given us something very powerful, the Holy Spirit, and he's also given us a, a, manda- a, a commandment to do together, a discipline to do together. It's called communion, to be reminded of our shared identity. And our shared identity is not in the name Rimrock Church. Ultimately, it's in who Jesus Christ is. And so we're going to have uh, our elders and our servers, and what they're going to do is they're going to pass out um, cups. There is a, there's a gluten-free option. I know there's um, some trays up there, so there's going to be other elders and servers, and they're going to pass it out um, if you need gluten-free, just raise your hand. We want to we serve you. We want to make sure you can partake in this. But, but hold it. Hold it all together, and then we're going to take it all together here in a minute. thing that I think is really important to realize when Jesus gave us this practice when he told the church to do this reg- regularly to, in remembrance of him it's in the connection of the history of god working through his people and whether it was in israel the passover as jesus was remembering the passover where god made a covenant through moses or even further back where god made a covenant with abraham god is a covenantal god and we're told in Gospel Luke that Jesus said, this is the blood of his covenant. That God is a covenantal God. That means a relational God. And he's inviting us, not only in relation with him, but, but think about it. We're going to go to Revelation 5 next Sunday, both in, up in the main campus, also downtown. And, and, and Revelation 5 is so beautiful because on the throne is one, a lamb who was slain. And God came to us, because he knew how broken we were, that we can't experience unity in our families, in our marriages, in our society, in our schools, Like, like like human history is characterized by violence, and disunity, and hatred, and so he had to step into our world to show us what love is all about, and he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you, so would you take and eat this in remembrance of him? So he gave us his perfect body to heal our broken bodies, our broken world, and to make us, as we're going to see in Revelation, into a new kind of people in him. But then he said, this blood is the blood of my covenant, and it's poured out for you. And so we believe that Jesus' blood was absolutely righteous, and that he alone can forgive sins, that we are the forgiven people. We are the fellowship of the forgiven. We have all sinned and fallen short, but he made a way so we couldn't Stand before his throne in righteousness With white robes and crowns And we can bring our worship to him And so it's his blood that makes us whole Let's drink in remembrance of him Let's worship him A
0: thousand years Falling down in worship To sing the song of ages to the Lamb And all who've gone before us And all who will believe To sing the song of ages to the Lamb Your name is the highest Your name Hey yeah. yeah. in this place for your presence, God. We just want to sing this to you because you are the lion in the land. Thank
3: together. Um, For some of you, uh, you won't be staying for a member meeting, but just wanted to let you know we're going to have a congregational meeting right after this. Uh, If you want to stay, you're more than welcome. Everyone's welcome, but uh, we'll be doing some some family uh, business all together. But I have some instructions from Pastor Boomer before we go. So if you have kids, uh, remember, go pick up your your children. And then if you're staying, (laughs) don't forget that. (laughs) And then escort your child out out of the auditorium, from the lobby, turn right, and then go through the doors, and then you will check in your child. So if you're staying, you'll need to re-check in your child. We just don't want to get anyone lost in the shuffle, okay? So please go do that. And I want to end with this uh, benediction from Paul. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, for never, ever, Amen. Go in peace.